everyone. This is Mireille Gino, and you're listening to the Doom Books and African Studies podcast. Joining me today is Professor T.K. Jeffers, currently an assistant professor in the Department of Philosophy at Dalhousie University in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Professor Jeffers is the editor of Listening to Ourselves, a multilingual anthology of African philosophy published by SUNY Press. Professor Jeffers, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Mireille. Well, I wonder if you'd uh, begin by telling us a little bit about yourself, and this can be anything from your um, your educational background to how you came to to um, to this project. Okay, sure. Well, I'm from Toronto, uh, Toronto, Ontario, Canada. I um, the uh, I'm the son of Caribbean immigrants. Uh, my father is from Dominica, and my mother is from Guyana. And um, I grew up in Toronto and went to York University, uh, which is in Toronto, for my education, uh, where I, I started off in film, actually, uh, but along the way realized that um, I was headed more towards the academic side of things. So I switched at one point from film production to film studies uh, and took on philosophy as a minor. But as soon as I had a year of taking philosophy courses, I realized that, oh, well, that's what I would like to do with life. Uh, and so I, um, so that's how I, I ended up choosing to go to graduate school in philosophy. Um, I did my PhD at Northwestern University in the Chicago area, uh, which was a, a, a great place for me in, in a lot of ways, um, relevant to this book. Uh, <clears throat> Northwestern has um, a strong tradition uh, in African studies um, and one of the, the best African studies libraries um, that's out there. And um, while I was there, I was also studying with Suleiman Bashir Janya, a Senegalese uh, philosopher who's currently at Columbia. Um, uh, but, uh, but he's a, a mentor of mine and he's also... Uh, one of the people in the book, so actually the first chapter uh, is is uh, is by him and uh, and is in Wolof. Um, after receiving my PhD, or or rather shortly before receiving my PhD, <clears throat> I got a job at Dalhousie University, uh, which is here in Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada, and um, I'm also happy to report uh, that. Uh, I'm, I'm no longer assistant professor. I am, uh, currently associate professor. I, uh, I received tenure early, tenure and promotion earlier this year. Uh, so, so here I am and I'm, 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 I'm happy for how, uh, this book, uh, listening to ourselves, a multilingual anthology was one of the things that I could present when I went up. <laughs> well, that's fantastic. So, uh, Congratulations on that. Um, that's, that's very, very exciting, um, development. Um, and, uh, and I, I think I should, um, also before we get too far, also, um, uh, say that I think all the best moms come from Guyana. So I'm glad that you, um, that you mentioned that, um, in case any, anybody might be listening. Um, yeah, so so that that's that's really interesting, you know, the, uh, trajectory. Uh, both the, the you know film studies um, and sort of this um, developing interest in philosophy, and then winding up at, at Northwestern, um, which, mm-hmm. as you say, is, is probably one of the better one of the best places um, you could end up if you're um, studying if you're doing African studies of, mm-hmm. of any any strain. Um, so, 
the 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 book, and I don't know if you want to sort of um, talk in more detail about um, how the actual project um, came about. Uh, you do detail that um, a, a bit in your in your introduction, but if you could say a little bit more, uh, maybe about the the evolution of the project. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, the uh, the introduction does say. Uh, quite a bit about the motivation for the project, although also I do say a bit about kind of just how it came about initially um, in my acknowledgments, um, actually, uh, uh, because I was, I think, uh, in in my first year, yes, I, I would have been in my first year of, of graduate school, uh, my first year at Northwestern. Uh, uh, I started in 2004, but I think that the events here would have taken place in 2005. Um, I had the, I had the idea for the anthology, uh, and that would have just come about, um, partly because of the kinds of things I would have been reading. Um, I think by now, uh, by that time I would have read some, uh, Ngugi Wafiango, um, uh, who was who was kind enough to do a forward for the book, as we may also discuss later. But um, uh, he, I, I've been reading uh, him, and I always have had um, a strong interest in in language uh, and, and languages. Um, <clears throat> I think in another life I, I, I could have been a linguist, but 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 I probably also always would have had um, you know my philosophical inclinations as well. But, uh, so I, I actually, one thing I can even also say about my background that would have helped to lead to this project is that, uh, growing up in Toronto, I attended a, uh, a Saturday program, um, called the, uh, the African Canadian, uh, well, the, it was called the Black Heritage Program when I was, uh, first in it, but it, it, it was renamed eventually the, African Canadian Heritage Association. Um, and one of the things that they used to do when I was small, uh, is that they would have someone teach Swahili. So, um, as a child, I was learning some Swahili. Um, you know, I, I learned how to count. I learned how to say, you know, my name is and so on and so on. Uh, you know, it, it, it's never the kind, it was not the, the kind of thing where they managed to bring us all the way to say conversational, um, uh, fluency, but, uh, but, but, but even that was a, an early kind of, I would say, you know, influence leading up to a project like this, uh, a, a strong interest in, languages in general and African languages in particular um, as this important part of the cultural heritage of African people. Uh, so uh, especially having by that time uh, in, in grad school read some Ngugi Wathiango and his thoughts on the importance of writing in African languages uh, and uh, having by that time read some work in African philosophy, such as uh, by Kwasi Weredu, um, a Ghanaian philosopher who's also in the book, um, uh, and, and some of the discussions that he had about the use of African languages. Uh, someone who's not in the book is a, is a man named Samuel Imbo, uh, I-M-B-O, and he has an, a, 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 an introduction to African philosophy where <clears throat> that's one of the questions that he raises, the question of 
whether African philosophy, uh, whether African philosophy should be written in African languages. Uh, and so, uh, I, I started to feel like it was, you know, an interesting question that many African philosophers were asking. Um, and it just seemed to me that there was the need to move from talk to action. There was the need to, um, actually start, uh, doing more philosophy in African languages. Um, and so I was, uh, I was at, uh, a meeting of the American Philosophical Association, uh, the central division, which often ends up in Chicago where I was. And I was talking with Emmanuel Eze. Um, Emmanuel Chikudi Eze is a Niger, was a Nigerian philosopher. Uh, he has since passed away, but he is also in the book. Um, and, uh, I had the idea to tell him about my anthology idea, my, my idea of, um, well, if you had a, you know, if you had a book that, you know, had a dual language format, uh, so that, so that, um, there was the writing in African languages, but <clears throat> also translated into English for uh, those of us who, who read English to be able to appreciate as well, uh, then it would be a nice spur, to, hopefully, to others uh, thinking about uh, the importance of writing African languages and specifically as it relates to the kind of uh, exploration of you know, linguistic and conceptual resources within tradition, uh, indigenous African languages, um, uh, that would be relevant to doing something like philosophy. Um, and so I, I uh, was excited to tell him this idea, especially because he has edited or he edited, uh, multiple anthologies of African philosophy. He's got one, uh, that I think is just called something like African philosophy, um, uh, then he's got one called Postcolonial African Philosophy. Um, so he had already uh, done some really important work as far as editing anthologies of African philosophy. And so my bright idea was, well, I, you know, I tell him about this. Maybe he gets interested and maybe he doesn't. And then, and then, you know, and then I get to feel happy because an idea I had inspired someone else. Um, and so I told him about the idea. He seemed to think that it was interesting and potentially fruitful. Uh, and then he kind of just looked at me and said, yeah, why don't you do it? <laughs> and, uh, you know, as I, I mentioned that in the acknowledgements, you know, that, that, that he said something like that to me. Uh, and it's one of those just interesting moments where there's something you hadn't even thought about. Um, in this case, I had not given any thought to the idea that this would be something that I could do, that I could uh, edit this anthology. Um, uh, but he, but, you know, he, I would say in that moment really kind of, uh, empowered me, right. You know, and, um, and, uh, made me think about what I might be able to do, um, in a way that I hadn't. And so I'm, I'm, I'm always grateful to him for that. And I think that it's something that, that, uh, is important in general that we always, uh, when, when interacting with younger scholars, uh, you know, give them big dreams and ambitions and let them, let them know how much they can do. Um, in any case, I, uh, yeah, that's, that's how I, well, came to the decision that, okay, I, I'll give this a try. Uh, and, and it was, you know, it was a long process, um, after that, uh, because the book came out in 2013. Uh, so that's about eight years, uh, 
since the uh, initial idea really took hold. Um, the you know to make the the story of its uh, of what happened after that pretty short. I'd say that the a major thing that I would that I was also grateful for is that Quasi Reredu, uh, um who who said yes to being in the book, which was which was great. He's um he's really a giant in African philosophy. Um, he also happens to know about uh, this series that SUNY Press was doing, Living Indigenous Philosophies. Um, it's a series that I think is going to be focused especially on um, Indigenous American uh, philosophy. Uh, and the first volume in the series before mine uh, is um, uh, about American Indian philosophy, as, as the title puts it. Um, and so, uh, nevertheless, it, it fit with their vision, the, 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 the editors of the series, um, that's, uh, Ann Waters and Agnes Curry. It fit with their vision, you know, to do a volume like mine. Uh, and I'm very glad for that as well. I, I think that, um, that everything has come together, uh, pretty perfectly. And I'm, uh, I'm really happy that the book is out and that people can enjoy it. Yeah. Well, and, um, I would think, uh, sort of along with that, um, the another empowering endorsement would would be that of Ngugi, right? Who, um, as you mentioned, say the least. <laughs> to say the least, right? So, who who uh, wrote the for, the foreword? Um, yeah. And uh, you know, you could hardly get a, a, a you know sort of better, more apposite, I think, um, author for for the foreword mm-hmm. uh, to this project, and so. Can you sort of explain the the importance of Ngugi to a project like this and and to the larger project of Afrophone um, writing? Yes, sure. So um, Ngugi Wathiango, uh, you know, earlier in his career, he was known as James Ngugi. And so even in terms of the fact that we call him Ngugi Wathiango now, right, um, uh, is part of his uh, important um evolution, uh, um, his desire that, that, that became very strong and very central to his career that African people would value African languages. And so um, <clears throat> at a certain point, um, I want to say it's in the 1970s, I hope I'm not getting the history wrong there, um, uh, he made the decision uh, that he would... Um, Stop uh, writing in English. Uh, I think I think he at some point uh, was was thinking that it was going to be all of his work, um, but but certainly um, what he ends up deciding is that his creative work is no was no longer going to be in English, right? Uh, um, and he he was a, a pioneering um, East African author. Um, he's from Kenya. Um, so I think he may have been uh, the first uh, first East African novelist in English. I'm not sure uh, if I'm remembering that correctly. But so he was pioneering in English, but it became important to him uh, to stop pioneering in English and and to to value African languages. Um, he is of the Kikuyu people in Kenya, and so uh, so so he now writes his creative work uh, mainly in Gikuyu. Um and uh, and we're I'm very fortunate that uh, uh, Betty Wambui um one of the authors in the book was able to contribute um an essay in Kikuyu. Uh so that's a nice connection 
between the book and and Ngugi's decision only to write in African languages. Um, <clears throat> so uh, Evan Mwangi is a uh, literary theorist um, at Northwestern in the English department. Uh, he is the one who uh, translates Betty Wambui's essay for the for the volume, right? So the uh, the volume, as I said, is a dual language format. You have the uh, the original essay on the fir- on the on the left side, and then on the facing page on the right side uh, is the English translation. And uh, and it was important to me that the uh, that the translations be done by someone who was not uh, the author him or herself. Um, certainly all my authors, uh, uh, could have, if they wanted to, uh, translated it, uh, translated their own piece into English. Um, but I thought it was important that they concentrate on just writing something in, you know, they, their mother tongue, and then someone else would come along to translate it. So, um, Evan Wangi was the translator for Betty Wambui's essay, and he has written a lot on Ngugi, uh, and, uh, as I recall, it was through his kind of contact um, that that we were able to uh, make Ngugi know about the project, uh, and and Ngugi uh, found it exciting. You know, um, from from the first time that that he heard about it, eventually I was able to get him the whole manuscript, and he uh, wrote his wonderful little foreword. Um, I, I'm I'm really grateful for it. Uh, I, I'm, I'm humbled by it. Uh, you know, it's entitled Forward a Historic First. Um, and it's, it's just three short paragraphs, but I mean, there's, I, I, I can't imagine someone doing more to, uh, express the importance of the project than, than, than what he did in his forward. Um, and the, uh, well, there's there's a, there's a part at the end of the foreword where he starts um, comparing me to other diasporic intellectuals who have um, kind of somehow made some impacts uh, uh, on on Africa, and uh, I would say that yeah, one of the strangest moments I've had in life was reading that paragraph. <laughs> um, uh, I, I I still remember. Um, he had sent me the forward to, 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 to look at, and I had been reading it aloud to my wife, um, you know, and just smiling because I, you know, as I said, it was it was doing such a good job of expressing the importance of the project, and I got to that part, and I and 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 even before I could get there, my my eyes scanned to see these names: Garvey, Du Bois, Fanon, Rodney, and. Uh, I couldn't, I couldn't actually read it. I had to pass the computer, uh, to my wife so that she could read out that last paragraph because it just, I couldn't fix my mouth to say the nice things that he was going to say about me, um, in that paragraph. So, so I, I am so appreciative of, uh, his support for the project. I had the opportunity to meet with him after the, uh, the book was already published. Uh, when I uh, when I attended a, a conference in uh, St. Louis, and uh, you know he's he's just a lovely person. So so being around him in person was just as amazing. And uh, 
And yeah, he's 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 a champion for the book. I mean, he has you know obviously he gives lots of talks uh, around the world, and in in a number of those talks, he's spoken about what he sees as the importance of this book. Uh, and so I'm I'm forever grateful to him. Yeah, and um, the the forward really is um, <laughs> is very impressive, and and um, and I, I think particularly when he uh, talks, you know, the um, in the in the paragraph that uh, that you had <laughs> that you had trouble continuing to read aloud, yeah. right, about the transformative impact of, of your work and and the the project. Um, it's it's interesting be, because in, in another part you sort of talk about um, some of the economic considerations I think mm-hmm. um, right that make make it not profitable for many other authors to make you know the, the quote you know movie yeah. turn um, yes, and yes. so it's it's an interesting um, it's an interesting set of things to contemplate his endorsement of that but his 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 unique position as, you know, as a, as a, you know, luminary, um, makes certain things more feasible for him Mm -hmm. than others. And I just kind of wondered if you could maybe situate the, the project, um, in terms of the things that have to be weighed for, Mm -hmm. you know, Afrophone, uh, writing to sort of really, um, go to take the next few steps. Yeah, no, that's an excellent question. Um, I mean, there are those who, who don't support uh, the kind of um, of efforts that Ngugi has made to uh, encourage more writing in African languages, um, and then you know, for some, you know, saying that they don't support it would be too strong. But more, uh, there's there's many who will just wonder about how realistic it is to kind of have this dream of uh, of, of more. Uh, writing both creative and, into, and and more broadly intellectual uh, writing in African languages, right? And so, right, one way that someone might make that claim is to say, well, it's easy enough for Ngugi. He's one of the most famous African authors who is alive. Uh, so, you know, yes, he can write in Kikuyu and, and someone will publish it and someone will translate it. Uh, and, and it will make its way around the world that way. Um, you know, what does that mean, uh, for others? Uh, and, you know, the, the pessimistic reading would be that, oh, well, so this means nothing for others, right? Um, I think that the way that Nguyen might think about it, uh, certainly the way that I would think about it, um, is not so much to call it his luxury, but more to call it uh, his responsibility. That is to say, yes, he is fortunate to be in this position, right? And and that makes it all the more important that he would use that prominent that prominent position to uh, encourage um, this kind of anti-Eurocentric turn, right? This valuing of African languages as a mode in which we do. Um, <clears throat> our creative and intellectual work. Uh, so, you know, uh, we could also say that uh, this project is, is not likely to somehow make it the case that, that anyone who 
uh, is doing African philosophy can kind of just start doing all of their work in their mother tongue and uh, never have to worry about its circulation or its ability to get published. I mean, uh, <clears throat> all of that would be would be unrealistic at this point, right? Uh, but it does seem to me that the point is to kind of get started, right? And, you know, who knows what the future holds? Uh, we would hope, for example, that um, the future holds for Africa uh, economic transformations that will better enable um, traditions uh, of, of African writing in African languages uh, uh, to be better supported, right? So obviously, as you said, there's economic considerations and uh, and some of those economic considerations right, would, would, you know, would make a difference, you know, if... Um, well, if, if, if African countries were, were richer than they are, right? To, to put it that way, right? Um, uh, and so, so, so there's, you know, there, there's the, there's the idea of hope for the future. Although I would say, what I would also say about what is now, um, is that, uh, let's say I was a philosopher, uh, from Africa, which, which of course I'm a philosopher of African descent, but I'm not, uh, a philosopher from Africa. I'm not actually someone whose mother tongue is an indigenous African language. But uh, what I would like to think would be the case about myself, if I were, um, is that, first of all, I would be publishing in English, uh, and I would be publishing in English, A, because it's the language that I was trained in, uh, if, we're, if we're making this a person who's relatively close to myself uh, in reality, um, and it's the case that for most of the philosophers in my anthology, they were trained in English. Um, Bashir, who I mentioned earlier, would, would have been, of course, trained in French. Um, <clears throat> but uh, also I would be, you know, uh, happy to be writing in English because of the ways in which it, you know, a very broad audience is, mm -hmm. is given to you uh, if you're someone who can write in English. And I would, you know, make full use of that. Right? But I would also, I would like to think, be looking for uh, opportunities to strengthen my ability to write in my mother tongue. Um, you know, and, and, and the, the, the difficulty of that is something worth emphasizing. That is to say, um, I think for those of us who have, say, English uh, as a mother tongue, right, the, the fact is that our uh, you know, our, 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 our professional writing gets to be in the same language that we, you know, would say use talking to our parents. And that's something, you know, to take for granted uh, that we, that we end up taking for granted because, um, you know, it's different. You, you, you might have this language that is so central to your home life, but it, it's actually not easy to, Write something in it um, uh, that, that 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 would be, for example, uh, uh, work in philosophy, um, uh, because of the fact that again, you know, your training is in English. You know, you you are used to, you know, getting into the mode of writing philosophy um, in English, right? Even even though it's not your mother tongue, um, and so uh, so so it is my hope that I would um, first of all be, you know 
even just on an individual basis, practicing my ability to express myself in, um, in this indigenous tongue. Uh, but then, you know, there are things sometimes like, um, uh, newspapers, right? Uh, or other, you know, uh, um, outlets, uh, uh, in African countries where there is some writing being done in, um, in, in some uh, African languages, not all. Um, <clears throat> certainly there's, uh, there's, you know, radio programs and other oral forms of uh, communication, right? That, that one could participate in, uh, if possible. Um, uh, where one would be able to express some of one's ideas in African languages, right? And so I guess the, uh, the point I'm making is that, um, now is the time to kind of use what outlets there is, uh, even if, you know, it's, we're still a ways off from, you know, the idea of a, of a very flourishing publishing industry of intellectual and creative work in indigenous African languages. Yeah, that, that, um, well, that makes me think of, of, um, of several things, right? I, you know, really intrigued, um, by the, the point you just raised, um, this ins- consistently, uh, working in the, mm-hmm. um, in a European idiom, right? Really yes. broadly and really narrowly defined that, that yes. has some, some real implications for, uh, for, you know, sp- Output, particularly scholarly output, um, and that's a really um, that's something that's that's taken up in in a number of the of the essays, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which um, well, let me let me let me back up for a second. A couple of the the the, the themes that you um, that you raise um, sort of preemptively in the introduction right? Mm-hmm. The, that, that run through the essays um, mm-hmm. include uh, this idea of, of uh, African-European uh, difference. You also mentioned mm-hmm. deference to tradition and religiosity, mm-hmm. but sticking mm-hmm. with the African-European um, difference um, mm-hmm. for a moment, um, I think the first one where, where this is a central theme is the Ethiopian conception of time and modernity. Yes. Um, and, um, like you said, the just following along, following on from your from the comments you made just now, this idea of, of really operating in in uh, again sort of two two um, two worlds, two frames of reference um, mm-hmm. alongside, and having to uh, kind of work in tandem. If you're a uh, if you're a thinker um, mm-hmm. whose native uh, language is one thing, but most of your work is done in another. And I wonder if you, if you would uh, be able to talk about that. And, and, um, and I'll, um, I, I also, I'm, I find that chapter fascinating as well yeah, because of the, it is fascinating, yeah. yeah, for, I mean, for a lot of reasons, but, um, you also are dealing, uh, with, uh, non-Roman characters. Yeah. Um, and so in the, in the, uh, indigenous, indigenous, uh, part of the, part of the chapter. So if you could kind of, yeah, talk a little bit about that. Great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Uh, I think that uh, it's you know it's nice that you just mentioned right um, the fact that so uh, you know the second chapter uh, by Messiah Kebede is um, is in Amharic, and so what that what that even means is just as a point of like 
what it's physically like to pick up this book, right, and okay. to flip through it, right? I think that that um, even that simple thing is, as I would hope, indicative of the kind of change that the book is working towards mm-hmm. because to, to, to flip past that part of the book is to see, right. You know, yeah, this, um, this very old script, right. Um, you know, the, uh, uh, the, 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 the script, uh, the Ethiopic script yeah, used to write Amharic and, and which, which was also, you know, uh, used to write Ge'ev, yeah, the, the, the literary and liturgical language of Ethiopia um, uh, before it. Um, uh, you know, it's, yeah, to, 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 to see that and to see a contemporary philosopher using that language and that script to express uh, his ideas, um, I think, is, is powerful. Certainly, if one can if one can feel the power of that, one one has some idea of why I, you know, created this book. Um, in any case, uh, the yeah, as far as kind of the content of that essay, right? So it's it's about um, con- uh, conceptions of time, um, and it's also about the question of uh, of modernity and. Um, and so, so it, it brings up questions about, uh, kind of what an Ethiopian conception of time is. Uh, and he's, uh, he does interesting things there, thinking about, um, what, uh, the components of an Ethiopian conception of time, both in kind of certain like traditional agrarian, uh, aspects that kind of lead toward toward a, a certain circular circularity of time, um, uh, but also the Christian tradition, which is you know um, millennia old in uh, in in Ethiopia, uh, which 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 has a certain teleological or or, or goal oriented um, conception of time as well. <clears throat> um, and and what he eventually ends up uh, talking about is is what he views as a kind of loss uh, of um, or, or or a kind of failure to um, hold to uh, the a, a, a particularly Ethiopian conception of temporality and of and of of time and of history um, uh, because of certain Eurocentric uh, turns or uh, influences, especially in the 20th century, uh, in, as he sees it, um, and uh, and so there's there's he's dealing there partly with you know a, an important question to thinking, especially about Ethiopia, almost more than anywhere else uh, on on the continent, which is um, uh, to what extent did Ethiopia fail to achieve a distinctive form of modernity. Um, uh, there are many Ethiopian intellectuals uh, who who bring up the comparison to Japan, and and uh, I think that comparison does come up in that chapter as well, right? Yep. Uh, with Japan being kind of this emblem of a non-Western country, a non-European uh, or European-derived. Uh, nation 
that managed to modernize, that managed to to um, to become modern, uh, 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 but not through uh, colonialism, not through uh, uh, you know taking on all of what Western modernity is, right? Rather having its own distinctive path to modernity, um, and uh, and so so there's. A sense that, that that many people have that you know that Ethiopia failed to achieve that right and so that's one of the uh, one of the the kind of historical issues that's at work uh, in in his chapter right I mean I, I, another thing that I would say is fascinating about that chapter is the importance that he gives to uh, the Kebra Nagast uh, which is a, uh, a almost you know, almost like a holy book, uh, certainly, you know, a, uh, a book that is, uh, extremely important to the, to the Ethiopian Orthodox tradition. Uh, and, and he thinks that, uh, that that book expresses a kind of Ethiopian centered conception of time and history, uh, which is important. And, and, and so he's, he's, he's aiming to recover that in some, in some ways. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. I mean, I, I will say that, 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 uh, there was, uh, an anonymous reviewer, you know, when the book was going through, um, you know, review by the press who I think, you know, maybe seemed a bit even offended by the chapter, right? Maybe th- thinking of it as kind of, uh, involving a certain kind of, of Ethiopian chauvinism, mm-hmm. um, and 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 so so, uh, I, I leave it to readers of that chapter to see what they think, whether they think it's chauvinist or or, or, or something of that sort. Uh, certainly, <laughs> what I would like to think is that for even the even for those readers who do end up feeling that they that they think that there's something distastefully kind of uh, chauvinist about it. Uh, uh, that that they would appreciate kind of what it is to to have a book in which you could have something like Ethiopian chauvinism. We certainly right. get a chauvinism <laughs> in the European varieties, right? Let's right. Let, let, let's have some African kinds, please. <laughs> um, and uh, and I think that I, I mean I think it's a very powerful chapter, and that and that Kevide is um is is just a really interesting thinker. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, um, that's a it's. Yeah, that's a really interesting thought, right? So equal opportunity chauvinism, why not? Yeah, yeah, well, and again, in that, in that vein, I think that, um, this idea of, of, say, the, the Japan example of, you know, achieving, uh, you know, achieving, uh, modernity on, on, on its own terms, let's say, Mm um, is really interesting and it, and, the, this chapter, to me, related as well to the second, um, the the second little essay um, that the the yes. what's in a name, right? Uh, yeah. That really kind of goes through this kind of taxonomy or scheme of of naming conventions among the Luo people, um, mm-hmm. and and which has this the essay rather has a, a very explicit cultural preservation objective. I mean, that's sort yes. of stated at the outset. Um, okay. And it's sort of this theme, the, the theme is the, the guinea fowl should not discard its feathers. And yes. so kind of um, taking that along with, you know, the, the, um, um, 
sort of allegations of, of, of chauvinism. Um, mm. Just just wondering if you could talk about that aspect um, of the collection, because mm-hmm. there are, the collection seems in some ways to be very, um, very anthropological, right? In, in, mm. in some ways and, um, and sort of connecting it, um, connecting it to sort of broader systems of thought, um, mm-hmm. um, is something that, um, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if you, if you could sort of, um, help us, help us do that sort of, um, mm-hmm. yeah. 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 Um, and it's interesting, you know, that, when, that you mentioned that proverb, um, uh, getting fashion not discarded spiders, which, uh, if I remember correctly, also comes up in the chapter before it, mm-hmm. um, which, is, which, which, which focuses on proverbs generally, right? And so, so I have, uh, in the anthology two essays in Luo, mm-hmm. um, one by, uh, D.A. Masolo and the other by, uh, Frederick Ochiang Odiambo. And, uh, and I think that that's nice. I think that, you know, that, um, being able to see two different authors writing in the same language, uh, enriches the book. Uh, and then there end up being these interesting convergences, mm-hmm. um, you know, some of which, you know, could even be influenced by the fact that, well, you know, like, like these two are friends in real life. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I think, uh, you know, uh, more generally there's, uh, yeah, certain, certain common influences on them, uh, as Luo philosophers, uh, including, you know, the, 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 the common influence of Proverbs. I think that, um, it's probably hard to overestimate the importance of, of, of Proverbs, uh, as, as, a, as an aspect of tradition which shapes kind of uh, intellectual thought, right? You know, it's, 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 it's the kinds of things that you are told in Proverbs as a child, right? Uh, especially given the fact that Proverbs themselves involve often some thought to kind of make sense of what's even being said, right? Um, uh, yeah, as I say, I think it's hard to overestimate the importance of that to someone developing a philosophical mind, right? Uh, uh, developing ways of interpreting the world, right, uh, uh, and interpreting language. Um, in any case, uh, so, so I just wanted to, to say that it's, it's, it's kind of cool when you see connections like that between uh, those chapters. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, you know, to, to, to speak of the ways in which the book can be sometimes kind of anthropological, certainly that chapter, the, uh, the one by Oshang Odiambo on naming, uh, right. That, that, that word is more appropriate to that chapter than, 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 than any other, or, 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 you know, it's most appropriate to that chapter, like that, given that, right, there's, there's, you know, even parts where, of, of the chapter where it's, where it's long lists of, mm-hmm. of names and their meanings, right? And, um, and, and, and that's, and that is, I think, important work. And I, and I'll make a point here that I make in the introduction, um, that, um, in African philosophy, one of the controversies that there has been in the field um, uh, is about the value of what uh, gets labeled ethno-philosophy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the term was used uh, as a kind of criticism 
especially by uh, a philosopher from, from Benin, um, Paulette Untonji. Um, it was used as a term of criticism for um, work that, you know, was calling itself philosophical, um, but was perhaps uh, merely, in some ways, merely ethnological, uh, uh, reporting on, um, you know, uh, the kinds of things that an ethnologist would report on, uh, and, you know, and ascribing that somehow as, uh, as, the, as the philosophical production of the people as a whole, right? Mm-hmm. So among the controversies ab- about this would be even the idea that, that, that you know, there's a people do or can a people do philosophy or is it not the case mm-hmm. right, that philosophy is, 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 is a kind of critical enterprise that only an individual um, can engage in? Yes, with, yes, in conversation with others, of course, uh, but, but, um, but, but a philosophical thought being something that, you know, that, that, that a person produces and that a person, another person can, can, can think about and criticize rather than, uh, it being possible for a people uh-huh. to, to, to produce, uh, loss. Um, so, so there, there are these various criticisms of what's called ethnophilosophy, right? But one thing that Untonji was criticizing, uh, was what he called the, the extroversion of African philosophy, uh, in, 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 in an ethnophilosophical vein. And what he meant was that there was a kind of way in which uh, those who had gotten, gone to Europe or wherever and had been trained uh, in philosophy and who were now trying to uh, write about, you know, the, the Yoruba conception of this or the Zulu conception of that, right, were, were kind of setting themselves up as spokespersons mm-hmm. who could kind of prove to Europeans that, hey, we've got interesting philosophical <laughs> things too, right? And um, and so, you know, that th- this was, you know, a way of, um, uh, he, he ends up in some of his work kind of comparing it to, you know, the underdevelopment of Africa in terms of, you know, the extroversion of resources, right? The extraction of resources by Europe. Um, and uh, uh, so part of what's important about this book is that that even if one wants to say that in some senses of the term, uh, much of the work, and especially a chapter like the one on naming, um, if one wants to say that it is ethno-philosophical, right, it is important that it is not ethno-philosophical in an extroverted sense, mm-hmm. right? It is, it is precisely not a case of running off to tell Europeans, hey, look what we have, because the very Format the writing in indigenous African languages means that uh, these are African philosophers speaking first and foremost to African audiences, mm-hmm. um, and so I think that that's an important aspect of the project. Uh, and I will note here: I don't, I don't note it in the book, um, but Untonji himself began work on uh, an essay in um, uh, Gun, I, I think is maybe how you pronounce it, G-U-N, uh, or, or also maybe Gunbe, um, if you add the G-B-E at the end. In any case, uh, his own indigenous tongue from Benin, um, he began work on an essay for this volume, uh, and 
he's a very busy man and things kind of intervened. And so, um, and so I, I wasn't able to, uh, to get his piece for this volume. Um, and, and I didn't want to tantalize readers by mentioning that in the volume, but I mention it here because, um, I think it's kind of, uh, you know, relevant to the, the trajectory of African philosophy. So at one time, you know, Tonji's concern was to criticize the various failings that he found in, 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 in ethno philosophy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but, but if you follow his work, you see how, um, the, uh, appreciation for indigenous conceptual resources is something that, that, that is very important to him as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and he was supportive of this project, right? He was interested in participating in it. And, and I'd like to think that, you know, if there's a, a, another edition down the line that perhaps it could be expanded and, and, and that he could be in that one. Um, and, and so I, I'd like to think that African philosophy is moving towards a place where, uh, the importance of drawing on African traditions is kind of almost taken for granted, uh, that, that, that we would have moved past some of the controversies o- over whether, for example, if you try and, and draw on African traditions, you're going to end up with this weird thing that's, uh, that, that's either anthropology or, or that's not anthropology, not philosophy, but some weird, you know, hybrid between the two and whether that's problematic. I'd like to think that, that we're, that we're, mo- that, that, that African philosophy is moving toward the place where there's an understanding that, uh, um, for African philosophy to flourish and be successful, it must um, be drawing on uh, traditional um, uh, uh, African uh, culture, um, uh, from the proverbs uh, to you know um, things like the the the, the, the religious traditions. Uh, I'm thinking, for example, of of the importance of work on on the tradition on the uh, the Ifa. Uh, divination system in in uh, in Yoruba. Um, I think I think that uh, I think that that's that that's the, that the future of African philosophy really does involve continuous drawing on 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 the African path. Mm-hmm. Well, and the um, to sort of reiterate, like I said, you you uh, you do mention in the introduction that. Uh, the sort of deference to tradition is something that runs um, uh, throughout um, yeah. throughout the the essays, or arguably runs throughout the the essays. And um, I do, uh, if you could just to, to follow on um, uh, with comments made just now, uh, <laughs> in the the word in mind uh, chapter written in Ebo, um, uh, there's a distinction made um, between. Igbo philosophy and the study of philosophy in the Igbo language. And yeah. I'm wondering if you can, um, like I said, you know, this is, I think it would be a nice coda to the comments you just made, if you could kind of outline um, this distinction and, and its centrality to the, to the project of the anthology. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that chapter is uh, written by Emmanuel Eze, who I, who, as I mentioned, kind of, in a way, uh, inspired the, the volume, uh, by, by telling me to go ahead and do it myself. Um, and, uh, before I say a little more about that, um, uh, 
you're right that I that I talk in the introduction about about the idea of deference to tradition, right? Um, and uh, and how there's 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 something very appropriate about uh, about the way that that one gets that feeling reading the book uh, uh, because because the very decision to write in an African language is already to kind of in a, in a, in a certain way defer to the importance of African tradition. Um, and, uh, I remember, um, someone reading the final chapter of the book, uh, which is in, uh, which, which is in Akan or, or Chui, um, and it's by Kwasi Uredu. And, uh, and this this young woman who who who, who was able to read Tree, um, she said to me that, you know, it's it's like it's reading it is like you know hearing you know my grandfather or some elder you know you know talk to me about you know the need for you know tradition and this that and the other, um, you know it, yeah it, it gave her this kind of village elder vibe so to speak. <laughs> and. Um, and I thought that that was so interesting, partly because uh, Weredu himself, uh, as 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 someone who has written most of his philosophical work in English, right, um, often comes across as someone who is not very much into deferring to tradition, or rather, there's certain if if you look at some of his his early work. Uh, uh, like he even has this famous essay uh, called something like um, like how not to uh, how not to I wanted I wanted to call it how not to do African philosophy but I think that it's not called that it's like how how not to think about African tradition or something like that um, uh, I'm sad that I'm forgetting the title but uh, but but some of his early work is really about not being overly invested in tradition uh, and 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 he. He, you know, he, he criticizes certain things like libations and various things, and 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 there's a certain kind of, let's say, modernizing impulse um, in in some of his work, and and he is someone who remains, uh, I would say, uh, like like he like Mutonji, to whatever extent, you know, their early work was kind of questioning African philosophy's obsession with African tradition, right? Like both of them count as people who, who have since uh, been more demonstrating um, uh, the need for a connection between African tradition and modern African philosophy. Um, but uh, but but to, to know that someone who has in some ways been so critical of tradition at, at various times in his work was coming off as the village elder, right? Was I think to me one of the, the the interesting questions of voice, right? In terms of what it means for uh, for someone who usually writes in English to now write in this in this mother tongue, right? How do they how do they end up sounding different? Um, and and I thought that was very interesting. Um, but yeah, so so uh, as a usefully reflects. Right, uh, on, on, on the distinction between, you know, the study of philosophy in the Igbo language and, 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 uh, and Igbo philosophy. Um, he, uh, he says, for example, uh, that, um, 
any Igbo can be a thinker, but not every philosophy created by an Igbo thinker can be said to be a part of the philosophy of the Igbo people. Right? Uh, and he also says any philosopher that understands the Igbo language um, knows that he or she may learn philosophy in the Igbo language, but what he or she discovers may not necessarily be philosophy about the Igbo culture, right? And he makes a number of, of distinctions of that sort, and, and, and I think that that's, that that's right and important. So, um, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's going to make sense to talk about um, something like Igbo philosophy um, uh, as in some way being connected um, to uh, uh, Igbo culture. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, and, and in that sense, I mean, you know, there, there's, there's, there's something, you know, kind of radical about him making the point that, 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 you know, anyone can learn philosophy in Igbo, but not be learning, but not, not necessarily be learning for, um, um, Igbo philosophy, mm-hmm. right? And, 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 you know, someone may even miss what I think is a bit radical about that, which is the fact that right now, you know, uh, people don't generally learn, um, philosophy in, in Igbo, or, or certainly, I would say actually that people learn lots of philosophical stuff in Igbo all the time, but what I mean is that in terms of understanding philosophy as a discipline, mm-hmm. right, uh, then, then we can say that pretty much no one ever, um, you know, uh, like that is to say someone, you know, going to, uh, uh, university in Igbo land, you know, you know, would be learning philosophy in English. Right. Um, and so, and so, 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 I think that that is kind of symbolic of how, of, of how deeply rooted the cultural transformation that this book is about, you know, how, how, what a, what a, what a, uh, a fundamental level, um, that, 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 that cultural transformation is on. That is to say, uh, to, you know, it, it, there's the idea of like you could even try and teach, um, you know, uh, you know, your Descartes or your Aristotle or, or, or your kind of, um, you know, other various products of the Western philosophical tradition. You could teach that in Igbo or, or, or another African language. And, and that's, Already something that's that you know that that, that is not very common um, uh, for for people uh, who speak indigenous African languages to get the chance to learn about Western philosophy in their own language, okay. right? You know, and so and so um, in a certain sense, uh, uh, you one one could even ask what's more important uh, to, to to start teaching in the language or to to or to use it to describe, you know, the culture. And I mean, certainly we're at the stage where, where what is possible and what needs to be done is, you know, philosophy rooted in the cultures of Africa. Um, uh, uh, whether, whether that philosophy is written in English or in indigenous African languages or in French or German or Italian and so on. Um, uh, but, you know, I think that this book points toward a future time in which, you know, it will not be weird for someone to learn philosophy, world philosophy, uh, in Igbo, um, and also then produce philosophical work 
rooted in the Igbo culture mm-hmm. in Igbo. Yeah, and the um, well, that that I think brings us um, really uh, nicely to uh, the 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 uh, the uh, chapter written by Betty Wambui, um, uh because it is uh, precisely described that it's kind of on the cusp of uh, using the language um, to describe um, the culture, um, but also opening opening the way. Um, to um, to writing philosophy steeped um, steeped in the culture, um, and this is an interesting um, chapter for many reasons. As you note, uh, women are severely underrepresented um, yeah. within African philosophy, mm-hmm. and the essay is kind of devoted to unpacking the claim that, and I quote: "Among the Kikuyu people of Central Kenya, women, children, goats, and land are regarded as one and the same." And mm-hmm. she, you know, she takes uh, some nice time and space to sort of, mm-hmm. you know, create a the, the sort of cultural uh, backdrop to to that to that yeah. claim, and and, yeah. and then kind of troubles it in a number of ways. And I'm just wondering if you can um, sort of uh, talk about that. Yeah, um, it's 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 a very important chapter in the book, uh, as you say, for for uh, for for many of the reasons you already stated. Um, I, uh, I, um, had trouble, uh, with, with the, 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 the problem of, of the underrepresentation of women in African philosophy. I, um, there's, there are a lot of philosophers, a lot of African philosophers who I approached about, uh, uh, being in the project, um, you know, who turned me down and, and turned me down for understandable reasons. I mean, sometimes it was, well, you know what? It wasn't often because they were too busy, right? And 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 anyone who turned me down because they were too busy, I mean, like, should have realized it's going to take me eight years. So, um, <laughs> you know, yeah, you have time, but 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 I mean, you know, really, when 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 I was turned down, it was often because of something that I was mentioning earlier. Like, this is a real challenge. This was hard for a number of the the authors in the book. Uh, in a way that, you know, even myself, I, I can't fully understand. I can only kind of, you know, intellectually grasp it, but, but, but it, it, you know, it was hard to, um, to write in, in these languages, um, uh, uh, when you're used to doing your professional work in, um, in English or French, uh, for, for the, for the people of this volume. Um, and so, so I go back to that because, you know, this meant that some of the women philosophers uh, that I approached, right, um, you know, declined for that reason, the same reason that, that, that other uh, male philosophers declined. Uh, but it became, you know, this kind of really tough thing for me because, you know, like certain male philosophers declining, you know, wasn't, you know, um, wasn't catastrophic, I guess this may be the word I'd use, in the way that I was finding it catastrophic to be turned down um, by by women philosophers because I, you know, I I really was not going to be okay with publishing the volume mm-hmm. and it being nothing but men, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that was something that I, you know, that I really had to um, 
to, to work to avoid. Uh, and so I'm so grateful uh, to, to Betty Wambui for her chapter. Um, and, and, and I thought it was just brilliant that, um, you know, that not only would there be, you know, a chapter in the book by a woman, but, but that it would be a really interesting work in philosophy of gender, because that's what it is. Um, you know, it is a, it is a philosophical exploration of gender. Um, and, uh, and so you mentioned what the chapter is about. So just to, to, to explain that a little bit more, um, uh, she describes, uh, having been in a conversation with a friend, right? And, and the friend remarks that women, children, goats, and land are regarded as, as one and the same thing, right? Um, and, and, and the friend means, you know, in, um, by the Gikuyu, right? And so this really struck her and she wanted to know, you know, what, you know, what that could mean. And so, so, she, yeah, she looks to what she, what, what can be reconstructed of, um, uh, Kikuyu tradition, right? To, to understand, uh, in what ways were, you know, girls and boys differentiated, even in terms of, you know, she talks about, uh, a disparity in the ululations uttered in celebration of an infant's arrival, right? right. Three ululations for a girl and five for a boy, right? And so, so kind of starting from birth, right? She's, she's interested in what are the things, you know, where, where, where girls and boys are being differentiated, um, and what are the implications of those differentiations, right? And so some of what she, you know, um, discusses, uh, maybe points in a way, maybe points in the direction of, of, um, validating, right, her friend's claim, right? But, but at the same time, then there's a lot, uh, uh, that she's also finding, right, about, uh, the Kuyu tradition that, that points in a different direction, that, that at least points into, um, can't remember exactly the word she used, but kind of, uh, like holes in the system, <laughs> right? Uh, and, and, and holes in the system, you know, like systematically, like, 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 uh, you know, holes that are systematically there, right? She talks, she talks about interesting things like, like women who were, uh, women, uh, marrying other women. Um, and she talks about, uh, women who, who chose not to get married and, 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 uh, and, and who could choose this on the basis of, uh, taking a certain path. And, um, and so these, uh, gaps and spaces, as, it, as it's, uh, described at some point, right, uh, troubles, you know, um, too quick, you know, a, a judgment about, about what, um, what gender meant in, in Gikuyu tradition. Um, uh, but, but, you know, it, the, uh, the ending of that chapter is kind of interesting, uh, because, uh, she's concerned to kind of have us fully appreciate the, uh, the ways in which the tradition exceeds a kind of simplistic description, uh, of gender inequality. Um, and yet, she remains uh, also very concerned to to not to not allow the forms of gender inequality in the tradition to somehow then go unseen or then be kind of just kind of uh, ignored, mm-hmm. right? And so and so, 
you know, I, I, um, I, you know, I remember, you know, discussing with it with her back and forth, whether, whether she was being too ambivalent at the end. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but she, you know, she knew how she wanted to end the chapter and she knew, and, and, and I think that that's powerful, right? Like, like my editorial desire to see the chapter and less ambivalently, uh-huh. you know, it, it's, it's perhaps important that that was superseded by her, you know, right as author to end with ambivalent. Right. It's very, very, very interesting. And, um, we have, uh, we have taken up a lot of your time, but this has been a really fascinating conversation and I've really enjoyed it, uh, because I really enjoyed, um, reading, uh, what I could, I should say, reading what I could of the anthology, um, and think it's a really, uh, fantastic project. Um, I'm wondering if, if, uh, if you'd, uh, be able to tell us what you're currently working on. Ah, yes. Well, um, working on a number of different things, uh, to, to think first of something that would be kind of relevant to the, to the, the topic of, of African studies in particular, um, uh, as, as I as I mentioned to you before the interview, I, I will be at the uh, the African Studies Association conference in San Diego uh, next month, uh, which which you will also be at, um, and uh, I'll be on a panel about doing the history of African philosophy, and uh, and my paper on that panel will be about um, ancient Egyptian thought. So so I I have uh, a deep interest in. Uh, ancient Egyptian thought, um, and, and I've already published, uh, one piece, um, uh, embodying justice in ancient Egypt, the tale of the eloquent peasant as a classic of political philosophy. Uh, published that in, uh, in 2013 in, um, the British journal for the history of philosophy. And so I will be, um, uh, exploring some other uh, important works in ancient Egyptian thought, uh, the instruction of Ptahotep, uh, and the instruction of Amenemope, um, and looking at, uh, silence as a virtue. Silence as a virtue is the title of the paper. Um, I think the subtitle is something like a study in the history of ancient African philosophy. Um, uh, and I, yeah, I'm looking at, at how these tradition, these these texts that I'm looking at are part of a tradition in ancient Egypt of moral and political philosophy, and how um, silence was uh, understood to be a certain kind of virtue, and the kinds of arguments in these texts for silence as a virtue. And uh, so I, th- I think that work is interesting, and, and, I, and I'm going to go ahead and admit, in case uh, anyone um, uh, gets the wrong idea, that I I unfortunately do not read ancient Egyptian, just like I don't read any of the African languages uh, in this, uh, you know, in listening to ourselves. I mean, I will say that being editor and and the various things that I I needed to do as editor, I learned, you know, I learned a little bit of each language to some extent, Uh, you know, certainly words here and there um, as I worked with the, uh, with the um, translators and in some cases with the authors um, uh, so, so anyway, I mean, uh, you know, I would, I would be a better scholar of all these things if I somehow spoke all these languages. Um, uh, but, but as it turns out, you know, I, I can't wait until I actually have all that mastery 
you know, to, to do some of this work. Uh, so anyway, that's, that's an interesting thing I'm doing. As far as book projects, um, I'm involved, uh, in, in two book projects, uh, at the moment. So, um, Oh, actually, no, I'm involved in multiple book projects, some of which will be also uh, things that I'm editing, just as in this case. But for purposes of time, I'll just mention uh, two projects where I'm not serving as editor. Um, uh, there's a book that I will be a co-author of called uh, Four Views on Race. So uh, philosophy of race is uh, a major interest of mine. and um, I will be uh, co-authoring a book with Sally Hafslanger, uh, Quayshawn Spencer, and Joshua Glasgow, all three of whom are important uh, uh, philosophers in the in the area of philosophy of race, uh, uh, where we will be representing different uh, views on what race is. And uh, after initial chapters explaining our own view, then then we'll get a, a chapter where we get to react to everybody else. So the book is going to be a kind of interesting debate. Uh, and so I'm excited about that. Uh, and I am currently in the process of um, writing up a book proposal for what will be my first single authored book, uh, uh, which will be a book about W.E.B. Du Bois. Uh, du Bois, the famous African-American um, sociologist, historian, activist, etc., uh, happens also to be my favorite philosopher. <laughs> and um, and uh, so so I've been given an opportunity. Um, I mean, I won't say the press yet, just because I want to make sure I actually get the proposal accepted. But uh, but I've been given an opportunity to write a book on Du Bois, uh, and it would be the first book that is kind of you know um, an introduction to his work. From a philosophical perspective, um, and so I'm really excited about that. And uh, yeah, like I said, I've also got some other things on the go, some other things I'm editing. Uh, but but I won't take up time by mentioning those, and I'll just say for people to keep an eye out for me because I'll, I'll be around. Okay, good. Well, well, all of that sounds really, um, really, really exciting. The Du Bois project sounds. Yeah. Sounds incredibly exciting. So yeah, I'm very excited about it. We'll definitely be sure to follow up with you about that, um, Professor Jeffers. I really want to thank you again for being on the show today. I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed it as well. Thank you for this podcast. Good, good. Well, glad glad that you enjoy it. And um, for the others listening to the podcast today, joining me uh, has been Professor T.K. Jeffers, currently Associate Professor in the Department of Philosophy at Dalhousie University in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. <laughs>